بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل لقدة باللسان يفقه قولي All praises belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala We praise him, we seek his assistance and guidance and we seek refuge in Allah from uh, the evil consequences of our actions and deeds and Praise and salutations be upon the final messenger, Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah, and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his messenger. Uh, my dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, salamullahi alaykum wa rahmatuhu wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon you all. Uh, it's always nice coming to um, Melbourne. Um, I frequented uh, this particular city for uh, a few years. Huh? But during the last two years, something happened. I've been going to other cities um, in Australia. So it's always nice to come back and um, uh, see the place and um, obviously get in touch with some happy memories that I have uh, of this place from my time with you all. And also uh, meeting um, people that have a special place uh, in my heart. Uh, brothers and sisters work sincerely, alhamdulillah, uh, for um, the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and um, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless them and bless you all and bless my short time here and make us a people that inshallah are gathered together in the hereafter uh, together as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, gathers us in uh, this city and um, in programs such as these Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen um, The topic asked of me for this particular evening um, is the topic of dua and uh, the power of uh, dua and uh, dua is in my view a topic and discussion that we don't speak about enough um, especially uh, since um, it's been described as the weapon of a believer and it's been described as the essence uh, of worship and if we look at Islamic scholarship over the centuries of Islam we see that um, it is filled with uh, lessons <laughs> Uh, pertaining to dua and uh, there are lessons um, from uh, the virtues of dua onto um, the benefits of dua onto the etiquettes of dua the several etiquettes taught to us by the Prophet wasallam pertaining to uh, dua right and this alone should teach us that this is definitely an important aspect in our life the fact that the messenger peace and blessings be upon him has shared uh, several lessons pertaining to dua, not just the action of dua, but the wordings of it um, and then on to the best timings for it and the best days for it uh, and then, you know, different uh, actions through which we can empower our dua. This is all from the Prophet wasallam pertaining to uh, dua. This alone should make us uh, understand that, you know what, this uh, topic is probably bigger than we uh, sometimes um, consider it to be. Um, and thus we have uh, today's uh, p- uh, presentation obviously in today's presentation uh, it's a brief sitting alhamdulillah uh, and, um, all sittings related to the inheritance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for but I share this introduction so that inshallah you can make note of it and put this request on to your uh, Islamic centers in, in the communities that you live in one of them being the uh, Melbourne Medina uh, that you would like more lessons uh, pertaining to it, maybe a day workshop 
uh, about uh, dua. Al um, Kothar Institute has uh, an entire course about the morning and evening uh, adhka, which is an, in effect a dua. Uh, course, so an entire two-day course is put together just related to the morning and evening adhikar. So if you can put a course about 16 to 17 hours worth of instruction just for the morning and evening adhikar, then what about the topic of uh, dua uh, altogether? Because really, even in uh, the supplications taught to us by the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, there's lessons for us, development lessons for us in all our spheres. I mean, one of the lessons I recall teaching when I taught the Al-Qawthar course uh, related to uh, the morning and evening adhkar was the topic of um, building confidence and ridding ourselves of the inferiority complex that sometimes we feel as, as human beings in our workplaces and our different spheres of operation. Now this is something that many people would not associate with a course related to dua, right? You wouldn't associate this, that how, how, why are we discussing this whole concept of inferiority complex or building confidence and so on and so forth uh, in a course related to dua. The reality is, in some of the supplications of the messenger are lessons pertaining to this. But a lot of the times, our service in our supplication is verbal or superficial, in that we utter the supplication without internalizing the reality of of, uh, of of what we're asking, number one, and number two, who we're asking it from. There's another course that Al-Qawthar has, which I have taught uh, here in Australia, known as the 99 Names of Allah. And uh, in this particular course, a chunk of it is used to look at the different names of Allah used in dua that we find in the Quran and Sunnah and why those specific names have been used. So for example, the term Rabb is a common name in the duas found in the Quran and the name Allah is a common name in the du'as found in the Sunnah and then in different spheres of the Sunnah we find different names being used in certain du'as that the Prophet Sallallahu was known to recite at certain times so internalizing this particular name and its association with this particular asking that we're doing in this du'a what does it mean? so in it there's a plethora of lessons Tarbawi uh, lessons, when I say Tarbawi, I mean developmental lessons for our body, our mind, our soul, our self, right? All these entities, right? Not just uh, spiritual. I'm talking about uh, mental development, physical development, spiritual development, and so on and so forth. And uh, along with it is also uh, an ability to better learn who Allah is. Because when you understand the name used in light of what is being asked, this brings a new dawn upon you. You start understanding that subhanAllah, I just learned that Allah is this and I never thought of Him in this way. So this develops your knowledge of who Allah is. And naturally as human beings, whenever we learn something new about somebody, um, our love for them increases. Right? This is naturally what happens. It's a, it's a, it's a universal law. By design, this is who we are that we love people more, the more we learn something nice about them. The more, and especially if we learn what they do for us. When we learn that someone is doing this for me and I didn't know, naturally it makes you love them more, right? And, and by default, that's why we say we love our parents the most and a husband loves uh, his wife and a wife loves uh, her husband accordingly because as the marriage develops, you start, uh, you, you start witnessing and experiencing what this person does for me. Right? And vice versa. And automatically this develops the love. And that's why I always tell our youth when they say, Sheikh, you know, I, I have to marry this girl. Please make dua for me. Huh? 
this girl from this address, this passport number. Say, subhanallah. Yani, again, we need to learn the etiquette of dua because should dua be this specific? We have lessons in the sunnah about duas which are too specific as well. Right? Because one of the lessons in the sunnah about dua is that you shouldn't transgress in your dua. One of the ways of transgressing in your dua is by, by being what they call over the top, OTT. Huh? They say it's being over the top in your prayer. So I say, all right, why should I make dua with this passport number and this home address? They say, no, Sheikh, because this is the girl I have to marry. I say, why? I say, because I'm in love with her. I say, how can you be in love with her? How? What has she done for you? Right? What, what, if, what do you know about her? Because if you're in love with her, that means there's, there's something substantial in play here. Because love on, in, through human interaction develops the more you learn. Love is based upon knowledge. True love is based upon knowledge. So, have you learned something that you didn't know about her? Has she done something that you didn't know for you? Has she benefited you in any way? Same thing I say to the sisters. That true love is based on knowledge. But if it's infatuation, that's something else, right? That comes quick and goes quick because it's based on no foundation, right? So in Islam, when, and I know you're having a series of talks. I can see one advert here saying, before you say, I do. So uh, I'm sure Uncle Idris will, uh, he will benefit you in a great way. He's a prolific uh, speaker and educator and has a wealth of experience in the human interaction on all sorts of levels as a counselor and as um, uh, an educational uh, consultant and so on and so forth he will benefit you in great ways but one of the things I can share firsthand that we learn from the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is this reality of love being based on knowledge so uh, coming back to the initial point the more you learn about Allah the more you're going to love him because the more you learn what he does for you and that is a substantial love substantial love mandates action so that love that you now have for Allah is going to breed in you a desire to act and now you're going to want to worship Allah. You don't need to be convinced. It's something innate. You have it in you. You want to worship Allah. Like how a husband wants to do something for his wife when he truly loves her and vice versa. Or a mother wants to do something for her kids, whether uh, the kids ask her or, or, or they don't. Or a child wants to do something for his or her mother or father, whether they ask uh, um, uh, for this or they don't ask for it. It's something you feel it's an innate feeling and desire to serve. You have this desire to serve, to do something, that desire is based on love. So the more you love Allah, the more you want to worship Him, the more you're going to want to ask from Him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And also, the more quality that you will attain in your worship. Because one of the ways of bringing this khushu' and uh, contentment in your worship is when you realize who you're standing in front of. That this Allah has done so much for me. He's guided me. He's given me uh, what everything uh, you know, everything that I have. Uh, he's given me a chance to enter paradise. He's done all this for me. The more you're going to want to worship Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So, uh, coming back to the topic, uh, this is the topic, but coming more acutely in to the topic, uh, the topic of du'a and the power of du'a. When we look in the Quran, uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, or one ayah that pops out with regards to du'a. And you'll never find the discussion about du'a in any of, uh, from my experience, the books that I have uh, looked into. You'll never find any of our pious predecessors and great scholars of our past uh, discuss du'a void of mentioning an ayah in Surah Ghafir, which is ayah number 60 uh, in Surah Ghafir, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقَالَ رَبُّكُمْ مُدْعُونِي أَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ عَنْ عِبَادَتِي سَيَدْخُلُونَ جَهَنَّمَ دَاخِرِينَ so in this particular ayah, there's lots of pages just written about this 
um, uh, related to uh, dua. Uh, the, the translation uh, or a, a simple translation of this particular ayah is that Allah says, and your Lord has said, your Lord. So Allah uses his name, Rabb, right? Uh, and this is an indication why a lot of the duas that we have in the Quran, uh, we call out to Allah using his name, Rabb. Uh, Allah has said in, in the form of a command. He's commanded you. Uh, observe the dua. Observe the dua. And um, I will be responsive. I'm purposely, simply translating it like this. Observe the dua and I will be responsive. And then Allah says, indeed, those who scorn my worship, uh, meaning those who are arrogant with regards to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they don't worship Allah knowing that he deserves to be worshipped, or they don't worship him alone, knowing that he is most deserving of being worshipped uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says, indeed, those who scorn Allah's worship, Allah will surely, without doubt, humiliate them uh, by entering them into the hellfire. So this is what Allah says here in this particular ayah in Surah Ghafir. Now there's a few points here that uh, we should take in us uh, building our appetite with regards to uh, dua. The first point is Muslims supplicate and non-Muslims supplicate, right? But Allah is saying here, indeed those who scorn my worship, I will enter them into the hellfire, right? This is what Allah says. And he says this after he commands us to observe dua, right? That is the ayah, yes. So, um, uh, mashallah, that is the ayah. Allah bless you. So, this definitely for those who ponder, uh, and we should ponder over the Quran, because the Quran was revealed so that we can ponder over it. This is the forte of a believer, right? The forte of a believer is to ponder. Even though uh, the Quran was not revealed initially to believers, it was revealed uh, for the disbelievers, right? So the Quran is for the disbelievers to ponder over and especially for the believers to ponder over. Allah says, Allah tells his prophet, a blessed book we've revealed to you, O Muhammad, so they can ponder over it. Who's they? The Quraysh, his people who were yet to accept Islam. So Allah is saying this Quran, this, these words of Allah, for, for everyone to ponder over, the disbelievers and especially the believers, right? So we need to ponder here. God Almighty is saying, He uses the term dua, ud'uni, right? Observe the dua and I will be responsive. But those who scorn my worship, they'll be in the hellfire. All right. We know that those who scorn my worship refer to those who don't worship Allah as He is supposed to be worshipped or those who absolve themselves from the worship of Allah. But we also know that those who absolve themselves from the worship of Allah, they pray to God Almighty. We see all human beings praying, except a selective group, right? Uh, people of other faiths pray, right? People of Christianity, of Judaism, of other uh, faiths, even those who worship idols, they pray. Even the Quraysh used to pray. The Quraysh used to pray to Allah, even though they associated partners with Him. Because Allah tells us in His book, uh, if you ask these disbelievers who created the heavens and the earth, they'll tell you Allah created it. So worship him. If you know he created, why are you worshiping idols that can't benefit you or harm you? So this was the debate between the prophets and their people. So what is this ayah really saying? 
The scholars have done this deliberation and they've deduced an important understanding of the term dua from this ayah. And they say that we learn from this ayah that dua carries two meanings in the Islamic context. In the Arabic language, dua carries different meanings because the Arabic language was, an Arab, was, was, was a language spoken by the Arabs long before the Quran was revealed. So no doubt this term dua was used by the Arabs, right? What did it mean? It has its linguistic meanings. From the meanings of dua, linguistically is to praise. From the meanings of dua, linguistically is to call. From the uh, meanings of dua in the Arabic language is to ask. From um, uh, the, the, uh, the meanings of dua in the Arabic language is to announce. Da'wahum fiha, subhanakallahumma in the Quran. Even the Quran uses dua in different places, not referring to the, the Sharia understanding of dua. It's referencing the linguistic meaning, right? So it's important that we also differentiate between this. Like not everywhere we see dua or its attributes used in the Quran that it's referencing you raising your hands and asking from Allah. It could mean something else. And that is why we have the exegesis of the Quran or the explanation of the Quran that you need to read to make sure you've understood the verse properly. Now you can ponder over it. So the scholars looked at this verse and they said, when we look at the people, we see Muslims praying, praying. When I say pray, I mean they raise their hands and they ask from God Almighty. We see non-Muslims, they raise their hands and they ask from God Almighty. Why is God Almighty saying those who scorn my worship after he says God, God Almighty has commanded you to observe this dua? Right? Because everyone observes the dua. So what's, what's being said here? So the scholars say we learn from here that in Islam, dua carries two meanings. The first meaning of dua in Islam is the dua that we all know of. When you raise your hands and you ask from God Almighty. Right? When you raise your hands and you ask from Allah, whatever you want, a righteous spouse, uh, uh, material well-being, financial standing, there's a difficulty that you're going through, you need help from God Almighty with, right? The morning adhkar, the evening adhkar, these, uh, the prayers of the supplications of the morning, supplications of the evening, all this falls under the term dua. However, there's something else that falls under the term dua, which we understand from looking at this verse. And that something else is every act that is beloved to God Almighty is also called dua. Every act, being good to your parents, that's dua. Uh, giving charity, that's dua. Um, observing salah, that's dua. Giving zakah, all this is dua. All this is dua. Which means in the context of Islam, Islamic, the Islamic sciences, uh, and in the context of the Quran and the Sunnah first, from which the Islamic sciences is built upon, dua carries the meaning of worship. So dua carries two meanings. Number one, the meaning of asking from God Almighty and a conversation, might I add, because many people think dua is only to ask. But dua is also to speak to God Almighty. When you talk to Allah, this is from, this is from dua. You know how some people, they say it's therapeutic when I speak, you know, like sometimes... You get, you get some people, they tell you their problems, but they're not looking for a solution from you. Right? They just want to, they're just telling you. They know the solution already, but it's therapeutic. 
that they talk to you about it, right? Sometimes it happens in the home, husband, wife, wife is telling the husband, A, B, C, D, E, husband is being husband. He says, yeah, so this is the solution, A, B, A, B, C, D, E. She goes, but I don't want to hear the solution from you. So the husband says, but why are you telling me? He says, I'm just telling you. Because it's therapeutic, I'm getting it off my chest. I just feel good telling, speaking to someone about it. So some people are created this way, that's fine. So even with Allah, you can tell your problems to Allah. You can't speak your mind to Allah. And where do we learn this from? From Prophet Zakaria, alayhi salam. Prophet Zakaria, messenger of God, he wanted a child and he was begging for a child for decades. Not years, decades. Decades. And now he's very old. And we know the people of that time, they live for very long. Right? So he's having a conversation with Allah. Yeah? He's saying, Ya Rabb, yani, Ya Rabb, oh my Lord, yani, uh, my bones have become weak. And my hair has become white. But I'll never lose hope in my prayer to you. This is a conversation. He's talking to Allah. Ya Allah, I fear for the progeny after me. He's to, this is a conversation he's having. He didn't say yet, Ya Allah, give me a child. That came later. And that was in other du'as. But here he's having a conversation. Like we have with each other that, you know, I woke up today and, you know, I just felt this pain here. And then, you know, I did this and I, it's a conversation, right? He's having this conversation with Allah. That, yeah, Allah, you know, Allah knows your bones are weak. Allah knows how old you are more than you know. Allah knows your hairs are white, right? Allah can see, right? Allah knows what you want before you ask him. Allah already knows. But he's having this conversation. It's therapeutic for him. We were created by Allah and we will return to God. He created us to Him, we will return. It's natural that throughout our life, there's a piece of us that will always be connected to God Almighty. And there's a sense of uh, this therapeutic benefit that you will get from speaking to God Almighty that you will not get anywhere else. And this is from the power of dua as well. So the first meaning of dua is to ask from God Almighty and to speak to Him. It's meaning number one. And in the Arabic language, this is known as Dua al-Mas'ala. Dua al-Mas'ala. The concept of asking from God Almighty and speaking to God Almighty. And this is from the power of Dua. That Dua is about you having the ability to ask from the one who created everything, who is the king of kings, who is in control of everything in creation. That is power. And number two, you can also bounce your feelings of him so to say in the sense that you can have a conversation with Allah maybe write that down that dua is not just about asking from Allah it's all it's also about having a conversation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so this is the first meaning of dua the second meaning of dua is worship like we said everything that I do is dua and the reason why we can develop this understanding is in the same verse when God Almighty commands us to observe the dua, He says, those who scorn my worship. What term does God Almighty use? Worship. And this is a dilala. This is an implication of the text, which the scholars of Usulul Fiqh write about in their books. There's a science in Islam known as jurisprudence methodology. Right? Usulul Fiqh. And the forte of the scholars of the science is to teach us how to understand Reveal text, right? And through, through uh, acute, complete research, they've developed these understandings. So they say God Almighty uses dua at the beginning of the verse. And at the end of the verse, he says worship. So there's a relationship between worship and dua. And we've learned from this that to God Almighty, 
our worship of him is a dua. Why is this important to understand? It's important for us to understand this. For when we look at the teaching of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when he says dua is the weapon of a believer, you now understand that the Prophet is not just saying when you raise your hands and ask from Allah, it's your weapon. But he's saying when you worship Allah diligently, you look after the do's, you stay away from the don'ts, and you raise your hands and ask from Allah, this is a weapon. That it's not a case where you disobey God Almighty by day and you raise your hands and ask Him by night. Right? That now you have in your hands a weapon. With that said, even if you disobey God Almighty by day and ask Him from night, He'll give you. He will give you. But we're talking about it being a weapon for you. And when, it's, when, when, when you ask from God Almighty, everything that comes to you comes to you in the best way. Because sometimes you are given what you ask for from God Almighty. Because you asked, but it might not be for your benefit. Who can give me an example of somebody who does evil by day and he asks from God Almighty and God Almighty gives him what he asked for, but it's not for his benefit either. Does anyone know of someone in your day, in your past, hopefully not in your future, but I presume in your future as well? Shaitan. Shaytan, nobody knows about Shaytan, the devil. Didn't the devil ask Allah, Qala Rabbi anzirni ila yawm yub'athun? Didn't he pray? He said, Oh my Lord, allow me to be alive till the last day. Don't make me die. That was a prayer. He asked. And in that asking, he's acknowledging that Allah is in total control, not me. Because I need to ask him. To help me stay alive until the last day. So he asked, What did God Almighty say? Your prayer has been answered. You will be from those who will remain till the last day. Alright. Him remaining till the last day. In his best interest or worst interests? Worst interests. Because he's a means of misguidance, and the more people who are misguided, the sin goes to him, which means he'll have the heaviest punishment in the hereafter. Does that make sense? Right? So, when is dua a weapon for you? When you take care of the meanings of dua, then it's a weapon. Because then what happens when you ask God Almighty, God Almighty will give you, but give you in a way that's best for you. And give you the ability to be patient and appreciate what God Almighty has given you. Sometimes you ask from God Almighty for ease in a difficulty, but you're still in the difficulty. But little do you know God Almighty is giving you. Why? Because you being in that difficulty, your character is improving. Your worship of God Almighty is improving. Your paradise has grown leaps and bounds. It would have never reached this level had you lived a life longer than the life you're living if you were on the same way that you were upon before the calamity hit you. So you, is God Almighty not giving you? And that is why from the names of God Almighty, from Allah, is the name Al-Qabid Al-Basit. And the scholars say that yes, there's two names here, but we count them as one name. Al-Qabid Al-Basat. We don't count them as two names. Why? Because number one, we only know them to exist together. And number two, if you separate them, the meaning is not beautiful. And all of God Almighty's names are beautiful. Why? Al-Qabid means the one who withholds. And Al-Basat means the one who gives you 
without end, without measure. Okay. If I separate the names and I say Allah is the one who withholds, what will come into your mind? Something beautiful or something iffy? Alright? But if I tell you God Almighty is the one who withholds and He's the one who gives without measure, now the meaning is beautiful. Why is the meaning beautiful? Because now you learn that this, these two names, these two names together, they don't mean Allah is the withholder and the one who gives without measure. No, it means Allah is the one who gives without measure and even with, when He withholds, He's giving you. This is the meaning you now understand when you have these names together. This, this is what it means. Now we have a new definite, new translation, right? That Al-Qabud Al-Basit is the one who gives you without measure and even when you perceive yourself not to be getting, you're actually being given. But you'll know when you meet God Almighty on the day of Qiyamah. That's the reality of God Almighty. I mean, he doesn't, he is he, ghani. Al-Ghani, absolutely rich and filled with resources, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? He doesn't, by giving you, he doesn't deplete. Right? So, <laughs> it's a deep topic, honestly. You shift from, from one uh, part of it to the other part and you feel like, okay, I need to talk about this for longer, but I need to go to the last part. Right? This is the reality of dua. This is why I'm saying it's not a topic discussed enough. Because I really, and we see it amongst the ummah. How many times do we make dua in a week, let alone a day? How many times? Maybe in a week on a Friday. Why? Because we were taught Friday is the day. Tayyib, when it rains, how many of us raise our hands? And it rains in this beautiful city quite regularly um, uh, from my experience being here. Right? You get rainy season once a day out of all the other seasons that you receive. Right? So how many of us raise your hands? When you know that from the times of prayer is when rain falls from the sky. And this is the weapon of a believer. Right? So you raise your hands. And then to develop our un earlier understanding when we said that dua is the weapon of a believer, which means your servitude to God Almighty is dua as well. Which means that a believer, when they understand what dua actually is, they worship Allah more and also the quality of their little worship increases. Because you understand what Allah has done for you, you understand what dua actually is, right? And then you appreciate all the different reminders that God Almighty sends you and opportunities that God Almighty brings you, right? For the, uh, with regards to dua. Uh, and all this is beautiful. All this is beautiful. In fact, the salah itself is worship of God Almighty and dua. Because we know that the Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, taught us that when you are in prostration, you're the closest to your Creator. And that is the time to ask, right? At the end of the prayer, before you end it, that is a place of dua, right? So uh, when we go for hajj, it's a whole combination of physical worship as well as asking, right? Uh, and it's got other acts of worship in terms of charity. So we can say your entire hajj is dua because hajj is about wearing the ihram. Why? Because Allah said he loves it. So that's dua. Then it's about going around the Kaaba seven times. All right, why? Because Allah said he loves that. So that's dua. Then in that dua, you're making dua, which is the other type of dua, because you're asking from God Almighty as you walk around his house. All right. Then you go and run between the two mountains. 
Why? Because God Almighty told us to. It's beloved to Him. So that is dua. And whilst you're doing that dua, you're making dua. You have the other dua which is supplicating. Okay, then what? Then I'm going to cut my hair or, or shave my head. Okay, why? Because God Almighty told me to. Allah told me to. It's beloved to Him. So that is dua. That is dua. So now you understand how dua is your weapon. And you can constantly be a person in 24-7 dua. When you sleep intending to be stronger in worship, because now it's a time of rest and Allah has made the night a place of rest and it's from the sunnah of the messenger to sleep at night. So you've done it as an act of worship. You in dua at night whilst you sleep. Because that is beloved to God Almighty. And to bolster this understanding, think about it. Before you sleep, you make dua to Allah. When you wake up, you make dua to Allah. So you start that worship, which is dua, with dua, and you end that worship, which is dua, with another dua. This is the reality. If you eat because you intend to be strong and healthy, to help in your worship of God Almighty, and to help with earnings, and you can help other people, and because it's from uh, the means of recognizing Allah's blessings, and the messenger, peace and blessings be upon him, eight, with all these lofty intentions, your meal becomes dua. And before that dua, there's the dua before eating. And after that dua, there's the dua after eating. So you constantly engage in dua. This is the power of dua. That it helps you find your Lord 24-7. 24-7 you're holding a weapon. 24-7 you're in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what it means when the Prophet says dua is your weapon. And in another narration, which is even more apparent regarding the lessons I'm teaching right now, a dua huwa al-ibadah. That dua is the essence of worship. Meaning dua is actual worship. Dua, in fact, is all of worship. This is what this hadith is saying. The Prophet said, dua huwa al-ibadah. That dua, it is the ibadah that you do. That is dua. Right? So I hope you've appreciated this, uh, uh, this understanding, uh, my dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, with regards to the, the, the reality of dua in the life of a Muslim. It doesn't only entail you raising your hands and asking, but it also entails you having that conversation, and it also entails you doing everything that God Almighty has asked you to do, and staying away from all that which Allah has asked you to stay away from. Now, um, you know, moving along with the topic in terms of the, its power, the power of this dua, then we all know, mashallah, I see an educated crowd in front of me and a crowd that attends many Islamic uh, lectures. You know what dua is about. It's about you getting assistance in your life. But subhanallah, there's another ayah in the Quran which really emphasizes this reality. For Allah says uh, in his book, in Surah An-Naml, in ayah number 62, uh, Allah says, أَمَّن يُجِيبُ الْمُطَّرْ إِذَا دَعَى وَيَكْشِفْ السُّوءُ Allah says, yani, is the one who answers the dua, the supplication of the distressed and lifts the difficulty of him or her. Is he not more deserving of worship than the other gods who don't do this for you? Right? So if we look at this verse, Allah is telling us here, is teaching us that there's no better person or there's no dua more powerful than the dua that stems from the heart of the desperate one. This is the power of dua. Yes, if someone else makes dua for you, this is powerful. But there's no power with regards to dua 
greater than the dua that you make from yourself. Why? There's no one more desperate for your success than you. There's no one. There's no one more desperate for your success than you. This is a reality. There are people who desire your success. They might be desperate for your success. But will they be more desperate for your success than you? No, they won't. Because if you ask them, they'll say, I'm desperate for your success, but I'm more desperate for my success. That's the reality, right? Which means the best person to make dua for you is you. And that is what entails a powerful supplication. A lot of the times we see, especially with our youth, our young people, right? It's, you know, they have an exam, for example. Please make dua for me. Huh? Grandmother, please make dua. Grandfather, please make dua. Mother, please make dua. Facebook, everyone, I have an exam. Make dua. Twitter, guys, I have... Habibi, all right, Tayyip, no one cares you have exams. We also have exams. Why are you posting? Right? But the whole world knows that you have an exam, mashallah. And the whole world is asked to make dua for you. If you go to the brother and say, brother, mashallah, all these posts, did you make dua for you? Oh, Sheikh, busy studying, Sheikh. I'm, I'm busy revising. You just make dua for me. You know, you, uh, my mother's more righteous. My grandmother's more righteous. Sheikh so-and-so is more righteous. I ask them to make dua for me. Me, I'm too busy studying. Say, no, you're going against it. You're going against it. This dua is powerful. If you do it yourself, because you feel the most desperation. Right? You feel the most desperation. So Allah says that, I mean, who is the one who answers the call of the desperate one and lifts their, 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 their difficulty? Allah. Is there any other God besides Allah? Right? So, um, this is another verse that really teaches us how powerful dua is and how powerful the dua of the desperate one is. In fact, brothers and sisters in Islam, this uh, dua is so powerful that Allah tells us in the Quran that this dua and supplication is the reason why those who are enemies to Allah still exist. Still exist. Because some, you know, you'll say, hold on a second here. We worship God Almighty. They don't worship God Almighty. But how come they still breathing God Almighty's air and eating his food and drinking his drink? They're enjoying all these amenities that belong to God Almighty. And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in his book that this is so because of the dua that they make. Because of the dua that they make. Subhanallah. Right? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in his book, قُلْ مَا يَأْبَأُ بِكُمْ رَبِّ لَوْلَا دُعَاءُكُمْ قُلْ مَا يَأْبَأُ بِكُمْ رَبِّ لَوْلَا دُعَاءُكُمْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Say to the disbelievers, O Muhammad, the people who are fighting you, the people who are usurping your property and beating the, 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 the Muslims who've believed in you, the few, the minority, tell them, tell these people that my Lord only pays attention to you. And that you eat and you drink and you have a peaceful sleep at night and so on and so forth. Why? Because of your supplication to him. <laughs> because even they supplicate. And we said the disbelievers supplicate. They do. They do ask from Allah. They associate partners with him, but they do ask. This is the power of dua. That that little asking, even though it's little and even though it's done with a lot of wrong around it, uh, uh, around it it's benefited the, the person who's asking. There's, I mean, what... I don't know what else to say that can make you understand how powerful this dua is. Right? That Allah is telling us here, say to them, O Muhammad, that despite all what you do, the oppression that you cause, and so on and so forth, 
You still exist. Why do you exist? It's because of this little dua that you make. You have financial standing. You have material well-being. You wake up without cancer, without disease. May Allah protect us all. Ameen. Why? Because of this little dua that you make. Right? Subhanallah. So what about the believer? And I hope, I mean, I have an objective from today's lecture. And that objective is that you increase in your asking from Allah. You increase, you actually audit yourself. That if we end today, you go back home and say, okay, and this is what we should be doing, by the way. Right? Because Islamic lectures are not entertainment. It's not the entertainment industry. Allah protected from becoming an industry. Right? Anything that becomes an industry is destined for failure. <laughs> right? Because it loses that sincerity. Right? Uh, and I'm sure growing up in the West, you understand this better than anyone else growing up in any other continent. Right? About in, uh, when, when, when medicine becomes industrial, when, uh, when I'm, in, I'm in the practice of medicine, and then the actual medicine as well becomes industrial, when it all becomes about um, ulterior gains and motives, it loses its sincerity. Islamic lectures and seminaries should not be, become an industry. This is not an entertainment industry. Which means, when you go home, now that guidance has come to you in some way or form, the next step is to bring that guidance into action. Because everything is a means to an end in our life. Everything. We eat as a means to an end. We sleep as a means to an end. We study as a means to an end. We live as a means to an end. Everything is a means to an end. Nothing is an end in and of itself. This whole life's coming to an end, which means everything we do is a means to some other end. Right? You get married. You don't get married because of marriage of itself. You get married because it's a means to other things. Right? And so on and so forth. Knowledge is a means to an end. And that end is action. And action is a means to an end. And that end is entering paradise. Paradise is an end in and of itself. Because that's the ultimate end. Right? So, you got to go home. You got to audit yourself. Sincerely. How much dua do I make in a day? How much dua do I make in a week? How much dua do I make in a month? How much dua do I make in a year? Okay. Even these duas that I make, why do I make them? Is it because of need? Is it because of habit? You got to understand that. You got to audit yourself. This is you now doing a stock take. It's important. If you don't see yourself for who you are in a certain matter, how will you know who you are? Right? And I promise you, I really feel you will become enlightened and shocked about who you are. That I thought I was diligent with this act, but I'm really not. In light of what I heard today, I need to improve this. And I promise you, if you function into uh, your plan, your progressive plan. I'm not saying overnight become a person who's going to make dua every day and so on and so forth. No, slowly but surely be intelligent in how you set your goals, right? So if you're making dua once a week now or once a day, make it twice a day or twice a week, build yourself upwards. Don't burn out, burn in, okay? So as you in in intelligently set your goals that now I'm going to review myself after one month or after two months or after three months, right? So you're going to set your goals uh, in terms of where you want to be at your next review, right? You set them intelligently, base that based on the knowledge that you have now, and also be acutely aware of how your life will improve. I can only tell you your life will improve because the more you strengthen the weapon, the better you will be to fight off your enemy. And we're being attacked by shaitan every day, right? Every day, making us forget things. This is from shaitan. We read this in Surah Al-Kahf every week. Nothing made me forget except Shaitan. 
So we forget things, our knowledge doesn't stay, then we forget to put our knowledge into practice or we find difficulty in doing so, so that's an attack from shaitan. Then we find ourselves falling prey to sin, that's an attack from shaitan. But as you see, as you keep on making dua, then you pray salah, you realize this is worship, I need to improve it. And you, re- you recognize all the areas of dua in your life, I promise you, at your next review, you will actually feel positively that you know what? I am a better Muslim than I was three months ago. And you know, the only thing you'll be sad about? That you are not as good as you are now, 10 years ago, five years ago, three years ago, two years ago. And the only reason why I wasn't is I didn't audit myself. I didn't check myself. So I want you to go home and audit yourself with regards to this reality. Because as I said, brothers and sisters, we're talking about the power of dua. The disbelievers exist because of their little asking from Allah. Imagine if you asked properly, what would come to you? One other thing that teaches us how powerful dua is, is the reality that the messenger, peace and blessings be upon him, said that nothing repels predestination besides dua. Nothing dispels qadr. Nothing dispels predestination. What has been uh, uh, predetermined in terms of coming to you. Nothing changes it besides dua. I think that in itself is enough aside of the other lesson that we just took or the other lessons that we just took. Subhanallah. I think each lesson is enough in itself to teach us the topic of the power of dua. I think we've taken a few now. Nothing repels qadr besides dua. What does this mean? This means, for example, Let's say a bad accident was supposed to, to come to you, and this was in the Qadr. But you made dua to Allah. So Allah answered that dua. And the accident that was supposed to be major was just minor. That was the dua repelling the, the Qadr. That was the dua repelling the, the Qadr. And from this, let's take another lesson very quickly. In that God Almighty, Allah, He answers our prayers in three ways. And this is taught to us by the messenger, peace and blessings be upon him. Number one, he gives you what you're asking for. Number two, he doesn't give you what you're asking for whilst you're alive. He saves it for you for when you meet him on the day of judgment. And you meet him and you might be short of paradise. So God Almighty will take out your prayers for you, your supplications and convert them for you and you'll enter paradise. And you'll say to God Almighty, I wish you didn't answer one prayer of mine whilst I was alive. If I knew they were being stored for me and getting it on this day, because that's the most desperate day, let's be honest. When you're standing in front of God Almighty and then your supplications come out for you, right? You definitely say, Subhanallah, I thought my supplications weren't being answered. God Almighty answered it, but He answered it today. He answered it today, right? Because who told you when you make dua? Allah told you He'll answer your dua, but did He tell you He'll answer it before you die? But you have, you have been answered before you die because the, the Qadr, you're going to Jannah now because of this dua. But let me rephrase it. Did he tell you you'll see the fruits of your dua before you die? That was it. No. You still have the grave. You still have Qiyamah. You still have your standing in front of Allah. Isn't all that a diff? That's the type of life that you're going through. So you will see it before you go to Jannah. So keep on making dua. You can't lose. You're in a win-win situation. So that's the second way. The third way that God Almighty answers your dua is that he uses that dua to save you from a calamity that was going to hit you, a disease, an accident, a bad business deal, so on and so forth. Your heart changes uh, before you make that deal. Your heart changed and you didn't make the deal and then the markets crashed and you were saved. What happened? 
Where did this guidance come from? Perhaps that was an answer to a dua that you made to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Right? You asked him for uh, Mercedes-Benz, S-Class, AMG model, uh, panoramic roof, huh? full options. Tayyip, he didn't give you that. But he saved you from losing your house. Did he not give you better? If you were given the option, brother, you want Mercedes-Benz, S-Class, panoramic roof, AMG, and lose your house, or you want your house and no AMG, you would have said, I'll keep my house, no AMG. So Allah gave you that. So in the end, Allah gave you what you were asking for. Because Allah always gives you better than you ask. And even in the first instance when we said that Allah gives you, one of the ways He answers your dua is by giving you what you ask. He gives you because that's good for you. Allah knows that that's good for him, give it to him. It's good for her, give it to her. Allah knows this that they ask you for is not good for them. If I give it to them, they'll go to the hellfire. So I'll save it and use it to help them go to paradise. So that's good for you. Or he doesn't give you, but he uses it to remove a calamity that was about to hit you. So that's good for you. So God Almighty always answers your dua and he gives it to you in a way which is better. This is power. This is the power of dua. This is the weapon, brothers and sisters, that you never at a loss asking from God Almighty, raising your hands, speaking to him, turning to him first, having that conversation, improving your worship, all this, there's nothing greater than this dua. It is the essence of worship. It is the weapon of a believer. Right? Now, before we move off this topic, somebody might ask and say, but hold on a second. How can dua change qadr? How can dua change predestination? Isn't predestination already written? Because we learned in another narration that God Almighty set the maqadir, that the predestination was written 50,000 years before he created the heavens and the earth. You and me sitting here together, discussing the topic of dua, was, was determined, predetermined by God Almighty 50,000 years before he created the heavens and the earth. Not from the time he created the heavens and the earth, before he created the heavens and the earth. 50,000 years. Wow. And here we are alive and sitting in front of each other and having this all this was written down because everything that will happen until the end of time is written down in the preserve, on the preserved tablet. So somebody might say, if it's all written down, how can my dua change anything? I'm sure that question is in some of our minds. And the answer to that question is that predestination was written based on the divine knowledge of Allah. And the divine knowledge of Allah, nothing escapes it. You can't add to his knowledge. Now this is something your mind can't understand because God Almighty created it and didn't give it the capacity to understand. So, it's, it's humanly impossible to understand this. You just got to believe it. Now when I say just believe it, I'm not saying believe something that doesn't make sense. I say believe something that's proven by evidence. Problems happen to people when they make their mind the foundation of all evidence. If it makes sense to my mind, that's evidence. If it doesn't make sense to my mind, it's not evidence. We say no. Your mind has a lot of things that can make sense to it. However, it has limitations. If it has limitations, we go to revelation. And we look at revelation. That is evidence. So we're not saying like the Christians, for example, when they say believe in a trinity, then you debate them on it. It doesn't make sense. They go, okay, it doesn't make sense, but that's belief. That's what belief is. You just got to believe it. In Islam, we say, no, 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 hold on. We don't just believe what doesn't make sense. We believe with evidence. So now we have 
and a teaching from the messenger that's authentic and he's told us that God Almighty's knowledge you cannot add to it it is absolutely complete God Almighty knows what was what is what will be how everything will be how everything won't be and even those things that are not meant to be if they happen to be then how they will be he also knows this God Almighty you can't add to this knowledge of his right and we see this God Almighty tells us the people who pass away uh, they will uh, cry to God Almighty but God Almighty says if we return them back to the world and give them life after death and give them a second chance they will carry on doing what they used to do so this is God Almighty telling us that it won't be but if it happens to be then this is how it will be his knowledge is absolute so the divine will the pen that wrote the decrees wrote the decrees based on the knowledge of God Almighty so on the preserved tablet it was written so and so an accident is supposed to happen in their life but then they're going to make dua and because of this dua the accident damage was reduced from this damage to this damage all this is written accordingly so based on this understanding we understand the hadith that dua changes qadr that in the knowledge of allah this was supposed to come to you and in the knowledge of allah he knew you were going to pray and in the knowledge of Allah he was going to accept your prayer and in the knowledge of Allah he was going to accept it by reducing the implications of this accident and all this was written in the, in the predestination tablet accordingly. Does that make sense? So there's no contradiction. And this is where we make a mistake. When we separate between predestination and the divine absolute knowledge of God Almighty. Predestination is made, was written based on the divine knowledge of God Almighty. Right? You can't add to it. So, um, from the, 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 the elements that teach us how powerful dua is, is this reality that we should make dua. We should make dua and dua repels qadr. Now, um, in terms of the power of dua on ourselves, then firstly there's the benefit of the dua as we've described. But one of the most powerful teachings that dua gives us is the realization that God Almighty responds to dua. Because if you didn't realize that Allah responds to your dua, would you raise your hands? No. So dua is evidence that you, O Muslim, you believe that Allah can help you. Many of us don't realize this. When we raise our hands and ask from Allah, that we're actually showing Allah that we believe in Him. Dua is you showing, O believer, that you believe in Allah. And you believe that He can help you. And you believe that he can hear you. Because if you didn't believe Allah could hear, then you wouldn't be speaking. But we speak in our dua. Why do we speak? Because we believe that Allah can hear us. And we believe that he can see us. So your dua is doing all these other benefits for you. That you are being rewarded while you make dua for acts that you're not even thinking of. Subhanallah. That as you make dua, Allah is rewarding you for believing that he can help you. And believing that he can hear you. And believing that he can see you. La ilaha illallah. How amazing is that? Right? Many of us raise our hands and ask Allah for dua. And we say, okay, we've been rewarded for dua. But my dear Muslim brother and sister, do you know that you've been rewarded as well for showing Allah that, that, that you believe he can help you? No. Oh, there you go. That's bonus, right? These are the bonus rounds. The bonus points. Do you know that Allah has rewarded you after your dua for showing Allah that you believe that He hears you? No, I didn't know that. Tahib, bonus points. Do you know that you have also been rewarded because of this dua that you made by 
manifesting that you believe that Allah can see you? No. Bonus points. This is the power of dua. That you build Jannah in ways that you didn't realize. Because the more rewards you get, the bigger your paradise gets. The more palaces you have, the more cars you have, the more streams you have, the more forests you have and gardens you have. Right? You, you're building your paradise. This is the real, real estate. This is the real estate. I was with someone in the afternoon who is in the real estate uh, 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 field of getting into it and, you know, t- was teaching me a lot about it, mashallah. Babe. That is a real estate of the dunya. But there's real estate of the, of the hereafter. What is the portfolio of the, the, the property of your paradise? Right? The real estate of your paradise. Because every Muslim has his or her paradise. Guaranteed. God, God Almighty created paradise for you. You die a believer, you go into paradise. Okay. What's the size of that paradise? How many palaces are you going to have? How many trees? How many forests? How many treasures? How many streams? Right? And you should tell this to your kids as well. Make it exciting for them. Right? Because kids are into cars and dinosaurs and, you know, dolphins and whales and all these things. Tell them that, okay, you know, you better be putting some killer whales into your, your streams in Jannah and your oceans in Jannah. Right? Excite. This is how it is. How should I do that? My mother and father, mama and baba, right? Say, by doing good deeds. The more good deeds you do, the more rewards you get. The more rewards you get, the bigger your paradise gets. And that's why Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, he says that you keep the angels busy every time you're in this dua process, in the worship of Allah. Remembering Allah, talking to Him, asking from Him. Your angels are busy planting the trees, digging the streams. They're building a paradise for them, for you. And the moment you stop, they rest. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's an amazing, I read this thing, I said, subhanAllah, amazing, this imam. And this is centuries ago, right? He's writing this. That he un- today we can probably understand it better because we see all the big buildings and what it takes and the bulldozers and the cranes and so a lot of it's busy. Right? Back in the day, everything was simple. But he's saying that your angels are busy digging those foundations, putting up this, putting up the tile, putting up that gold brick, putting up this path. They're busy doing stuff for you when you're in the remembrance of Allah. When you stop, they take a break. Right? And I pictured the, the foreman at the building site when it's break and he has to open his lunchbox and his tea and he's drinking their tea, they're having a break. So the angels take a break when you take a break from worshipping Allah. So from the power of dua is it gives you the chance to build Jannah in ways you didn't realize. That you will go to Jannah and see things that you'll say I didn't do. And Allah will say no, these were rewards for the other things you made manifest which you didn't know when you made dua. Like you making manifest your belief that Allah can help you and so on and so forth. And with this, we'll bring this talk to an end. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase our understanding and bless us with knowledge that is blessed in that it is knowledge that leads us to action. May Allah forgive all, all the du'as that we uh, answer all the du'as that we made since we were born. And all the du'as we will make till the day we die. And all the du'as we will make for ourselves and for everyone around us. And answer it in, the, in a way better than we ask. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. May Allah forgive our past inspire our futures and make us a people who put our knowledge into practice and make us a people who are blessed to receive all the knowledge we need from the inheritance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that will mandate our guidance till we meet Allah on the day of judgment. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Hada wallahu a'lam. Uh, I would like to just extend a heartfelt gratitude to the Melbourne Medina uh, because he who does not thank the people cannot thank Allah. We have to thank the people for their efforts and al Kothar Institute as well. It's a joint effort in um, helping me come all the way here and um, helping uh, or being a bridge between me and yourself so I can teach you something beneficial inshallah and you can learn something beneficial inshallah. Jazakumullah khairan wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi.